0: Come on. How are we doing Go Church this morning? You feeling good? Labor Day weekend. Man, I want to take a moment welcome our online audience. Thank you for jumping in and jumping in on today's gathering. It's going to be really good. Man, the worship is already really strong. My name is Pastor Ben. I'm the campus pastor here at our South Metro Atlanta location. And maybe you don't know this, but we're actually one church in two locations. We have our location here on the south side of Atlanta and Sharpsburg. And then 700 miles north, we have our location in Germantown. Could you give it up for our Germantown family? Love you guys. Pastor David is incredible. You know, and this house has got a lot of great, great things happen here. And one of the traditions that we have every single week as we take a moment to honor the brave men and women of our military and our first responders i just want to say thank you for sacrificing and giving your time and your efforts and your your life so that i can stand here in the pulpit today Could we give it up for our first responders and our military and uh you know this is a clapping church and nothing wrong with that and uh i just want to take a moment and just say thank you pastor for the opportunity to stand uh, in this pulpit. It's a privilege and it's an honor to share the word. Do you love our our lead pastors, JC and Kimberly Worley? Fantastic, great leaders, love the Lord. And uh, I can stand here in full honesty and disclosure that behind the scenes, they are as true to the word of God as they are with a microphone in their hand. And that's something to be proud of and there's something to be thankful for. And uh, love, love being a part of this incredible team. You know, today we start uh, a really great series on the book of Ruth. Man, this book is fantastic. This short little book. If you don't mind, you can go ahead on and turn to Ruth chapter one. It's right in like that first quarter of the Bible, just after Judges. But Ruth, Ruth has to be one of the best stories in all of Scripture. In fact, the hardest part. Of today is not going to be to preach Ruth chapter 1. It's going to be for me not to preach Ruth chapters 1 through 4. I mean, whole story, fantastic. Love every minute of it. Uh, you know what I feel like? I feel like the next couple weeks, they're going to be like, the price is right. You know, at that, that final round where it's just two people facing off, and they're giving away the RV, and they're like, and here's a canoe, and here's a grill, and then the announcer's always like, but wait, There's more. And just when you think it's over, there's a trip to Tahiti slapped on the back end of it. That's what this story, this whole book, every chapter just keeps giving more and more and more. And uh, I love this book. It's a foreshadowing of Jesus. It's an incredible story of redemption, of the redemptive power, of the love of God. And uh, really, really excited to jump in. Let me give you a little background on what's happening right now Uh, Israel is a fledgling nation, there's no king. Uh, In fact, over the last years, they've been led by a series of what the Bible calls judges. And uh, they're facing some trials. There's famine in the land. No one has any food. And uh, Elimelech, Naomi, and their two sons decide there's no food here in Bethlehem. So now let's move to Moab. So they pack up everything that they had. They move to Moab. Their sons who are the age to be married. They find two Moabite women, and they marry them, Ruth and Orpah. Not to be confused with Oprah when you read this. And uh, they marry them, and then that's where we're going to pick up. So I want to start in verse 3, if you don't mind. Uh, Ruth chapter 1, verse 3. It says, Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and one named Ruth, and after they had lived about ten years, both Malin and Kilian also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord was, had come to the aid of the people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living. She set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Verse 8, Then Naomi said to her, Two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness, as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and she wept out loud and said to them, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons? Who could... Become your husband? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to a son, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than it is for you. Check this out. Because the Lord's hand has turned against me and at this they wept out loud again. And Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods go back with her. This is just such a strong, strong part of the passage, and I want you to really dial in right here. But Ruth replied, do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped, she stopped urging her. Would you pray with me as I pray for you this morning? Are we good? Said, are we good today? Are you awake? Come on. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, every person under the sound of my voice, in-house and online, Lord, I pray that today you begin to shine a light on some things in our own heart that may be hidden. Lord, I pray that today, if someone doesn't know you, that they would see the beautiful power of your redemptive love in this story today. God, I thank you for everyone in the house. Lord, give us wisdom, Lord, to live a life solely devoted to you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. I think this story really shows the power of connection between people and it shows this redemptive power of God. In fact, there's a few things that that I want to point out as we, as we move through this story that I think will apply to your life and to my life. And these are things that I felt like the Lord was speaking to me as I was diving in. And, and if you're taking notes, if you want to, you can use the note cards that are in the seat back pocket in front of you. But feel free to take notes on whatever you've got. And the first one is this, man, the road to redemption, it begins with a decision. The road to redemption, it begins with a decision. If, if this is a story of redemption, then that means at some point in time, bad went to good. At some point in time, the crisis began to turn away. It began to turn towards a positive environment, a positive thing. It, there was a shift at some point in time. If this is a redemption storm, story, then at some point in time in this, this passage, in these four chapters we read, where there is a bad to a good moment. And write this down, it's not, it's not on your screen. There is, no, there is no ruining in redemption, there's only renewal. There's no ruining in redemption. There's only renewal. When you and I, if you're a believer in the house, if you said yes to Jesus, you did not get worse. You only got better. When you said yes to Jesus, you, you, you turned the light on to the destiny that God has for you. When you said yes to Jesus, you moved from dark to light. Like you finally found hope. You finally found joy. You finally found peace. When you got saved, you didn't become a worse version of yourself. You became the true version of what God created you to be. And that's what makes your story incredible. I don't want you to discount like your life and what God's doing in your life and what he's trying to show you he has planned for you because God has great things planned for all of us. God has a life for all of us. God has a desire for all of us to walk in his will and his way because that's, that's where we find joy and peace and fulfillment. And I don't know about you today, but I see a lot of people online and through social media that just don't have fulfillment They're searching and they're changing and they're trying to get the attention of other people while the attention of the Father, it sits on the back burner. But man, that's your story if you're a believer. Like the old song says, uh, once was lost but now I'm found. I was blind but now I see. Man, that's our story. I I wasn't always where I am today. And I'm thankful that God found me. This story starts off with Naomi and her husband. And they're fleeing this famine in the land, and they and they travel all the way to Moab, and they hit reset on their life, and they start anew. And Naomi and Orpah and Ruth, they tragically all lose their husband, which is a big deal. It's a big deal. There, there's no male in the household, which which carries with it all sorts of implications on inheritance and debt, and and they're fending for themselves. And all of a sudden they hear that God is hes restoring this, this land of Bethlehem, that food's come back in town, that the harvest is coming back. And they're faced with the decision in this moment, do I stay or do I go? And here they have no husbands and all three women, they're battling bereavement and grief. Like it's not that they, they don't have anybody in the house. They're battling true grief. And if you've ever lost someone that's really close to you, then you understand that this is a process. That this is this is a it's catastrophic, it, it's life-altering, life-changing. But even in the midst of this, this whole trial and this situation, they've got to decide: am I gonna stay or am I go? You need to understand right now, watching online and, and everybody in the room today, that someone on your right and on your left, just like you, they're battling adversity. At some point in time, they've faced a trial. At some point in time, they felt lost. At some point in time, they've, they've been in your situation. And while some of them may be traveling at the same time with you through this trial and through this issue, there are many around you that have overcome. And they've overcome through the power and the love of Jesus Christ. They've overcome through the desire of their own heart to step out and to move on. And all of us are facing a choice every day. We can stay here in our trauma We can stay here in our issues. We can stay here in our addiction. Or we can start to take that turn towards Jesus. We can start to take that turn back into the arms of Jesus who's waiting and watching and loving. And this move, this move from bad to good in your life, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen by accident. In fact, write this down if you you want to find freedom, you have to go looking for it. If you want to go find freedom, if you want to go find joy and peace and hope and renewal, you're going to have to go looking for it. It doesn't just drop on you as you're walking. It's not a random rain shower. It's a conscious decision that even in the midst of my trial and my loss and my grief and my issues, I'm going to pursue Jesus at all costs. I'm going to find hope. I'm going to use my faith in the right way. You'll never wander into a reset. You'll never wander into it. You'll never wander into breaking an addiction. You'll never wander out of depression and out of anxiety and out of worry. It's a desire and a decision to press on, to keep going, to trust that God really does know what he's doing. And I know if you're anything like me, if just being raw and real, there's times where I'm like, God, I don't know if you know what you're doing. Like, I wouldn't do it that way. And we, we think that God needs to operate on our scale and our pace and our time and, and our plan and that. There's this false narrative going around Christianity that the moment you accept Jesus that you somehow deserve a life without grief and issue and problems. That, that if, you just, if you just say it won't happen, it won't happen. But how many believers know in this house that you accepted Jesus Christ and you loved the Lord, but you still had a battle? Anybody in here? You still had a fight. In fact, if anything, I realized something the moment I said yes to Jesus, I became more of a target for the enemy, because I have a destiny, I have a desire, I have a passion. But man, I'm thankful that there was a time where I found the Lord. Is there anybody in here that you could remember back to your lowest of low where you made a decision to turn and to follow Jesus? Anybody, the author and the finisher of your faith? Man, I can stand here as a witness today. And I think about like my past and all the things I've battled through. I, I remember back to the nights in the hospital. And the days in the clinic and wondering, am I going to get healed? Am I going to get better? And, and days just wandering in a lifestyle, trying to find fulfillment in my life while ignoring Jesus Christ. But I remember, and I can stand here as a witness today, that the moment that I said yes to God, like my life changed. In fact, Psalms 124, had it not been for the Lord who was on my side, man, my enemies, they would have taken control of me. My situation would have drowned me. My, my pain would have just crushed me. But I'm so thankful that God gave me a, a clarifying moment where I could turn and I could say yes to him and not walk away from him, walk away from the plan that he had for my life. I want you to write this down. to something else I get when I read this, this story, and that's this. How you handle your story has a direct effect on other people. How you handle your, your story, your storm, your situation, whatever it may be, it has a direct effect on the people around you. You are a living witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're a living witness. In fact, for many of you, the people in your life, those in your, in your home, in your family, in your workplace, you will be the first glimpse of Jesus that we see. And as a believer, let me tell you what, that carries some weight, as it should We're representatives of the gospel. We are the church. We are the the body of believers who are following Jesus Christ. And it's our job and our goal to share that love and to share that passion and to share the gift of salvation with other people. But I'm wondering sometimes how well my witness displays itself. Ruth saw that what's so powerful about the story is like Ruth saw so much of Naomi's relationship with, with God that That Ruth was willing to leave the gods of her ancestors and all of her family and everything that she had known from birth to not only follow Naomi back to Bethlehem, but she said, I will follow your God. Your God will be my God, and where you die, I'll die. I am connected to you. I'm chasing after what God has for you and for me. My question to you is this. Are people drawn to Jesus because of your relationship with him? not because of the message that's getting preached from the stream that you're sharing. Are people drawn to Jesus because of your relationship with him? Now, I might not preach the paint off the walls, but I prayed this prayer this morning that the Holy Spirit would be a great revealer today and that he would shine a light on our our motives and our heart and our attitudes and our witness today. Do you live for the Lord in such a way That those around you say, I don't know what they got, but I want that. Have you ever seen somebody driving around, maybe they're driving around in a car, and you're like, I don't even know what kind of car that is, but I want it, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody like, I don't know who built their house, but I need to find it. I need to move there. I don't know what he's, I cooked pork belly burnt ends last night, and somebody was like, I don't even know what that is, but I want it. It looks really good. Man, do people do that with your relationship? Do they look at you and say, I want that hope, I want that peace, I want that joy. I'm watching them battle it out in their trial, and, and they're succeeding, and they're winning when I would be drowning, and I don't know what they got, but I want it. That, that should weigh on our hearts and our minds today. We should have a desire to live in such a way that people don't see me, they see the Lord. What I love about this church, and you just saw it on that video, is it's so generous. Not just with money that we give to, to storm victims, but man, when people are, in, are during serve month, just watching parents and their kids serve, being the hands and feet of Jesus, man, you can never, please never discount serving in this house and in this community. You are the witness. You are go church and the church in Jesus in the city. When I read this story too, some other things come out to me and that's this, you know, everyone in your now won't be in your next. Everyone in your now won't be in your next Orpah was presented the same opportunity as Ruth. Same thing. To stay with Naomi, but she chose to go back home. And I want to just establish this right off the bat. That is okay. That is okay. I wish we would be more comfortable with people not being in the next season of our life. I wish we would be more comfortable with that. It doesn't mean it's not disappointing. It doesn't mean when people aren't there that it doesn't hurt. It's just reality. We move. We get married We change jobs. Some people change churches, although I don't recommend changing from this one. We do a bad job of demonizing people because they leave us. But not everyone who leaves you does it for the wrong reason. You know, I think there's two types of people that that leave us. Let's write this down, okay? Two types of people. Number one, there's people God is rearranging. There's people that God is rearranging just like you chased after God, just like you made a decision to pursue God with your heart and with your family and with being in church. Let me tell you what, there's other people in your world and in your circle that are choosing to pursue God. They're choosing to follow after him. And sometimes people walk out of your life for God reasons. Because they're chasing something holy. It doesn't mean you're not holy. It just means that the same God who has a plan for your life and for your kids is the same God who has a plan for their life and their kids. And we got to get comfortable with some people that are leaving our life. They're not haters and not nothing wrong with them. They're not uh, toxic people. We'll label somebody toxic in a minute for that. It's ridiculous. But then, you know, there's people who, people who just can't hang. There's people who just can't hang with you. They can't run with you. They can't do that. Uh, If you've been on this earth longer than five minutes, then you know that you will at some point in time make a decision that not everyone in your circle is going to love. They're not going to cheer you on when you decide that factor, when you make that decision. What I found to be true um, is this. If you're chasing the things of God and those in your circle are trying to talk you out of chasing the things of God, then you need to get a new circle. Like You need to get a new group of friends. If you're trying to get closer to the Lord and everyone's trying to tell you that's a dumb idea, don't do that, you'll never make money if you step out and do that, and yada, 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 whatever it is, those people are weird, don't be a part of that. Like if all they're doing is trying to talk you out of God things, then they're not meant for God's plan in your life. And that, that's hard to swallow. You know, when I chose to pursue ministry, I had people who just didn't understand, right? Like I, I had my group of friends I grew up with and Most of them didn't understand. They didn't know why I wanted like why you want to do that? Why do you want to go to college eight hours away? Why do you want to give your where are you gonna live? What are you gonna do? Don't you wanna come back home and pastor? And every answer was, no, I'm gonna give my life to the Lord, man. He's done so much for me, I can't help but do that. And no one understood that. Not everyone in your life is going to want to hang with you. And they're gonna want to get out. And let me tell you something really relieving. Let them go. It is okay. If they can't hang with you and they don't want to run with you while you pursue Jesus, let them go. It's okay. Like, it's okay. I promise every friend that walks out on you because of your faith, God will replace with somebody who will run with you in your faith. Like, that's just real and honest. Man, I, I used to worry about this, this making decisions and, and, and following the path of God for my life. And I had a pastor tell me one time, for every one person that's mad at you about following Jesus, there will be 10 people who love you and cheer you on. And I'm here to stand here today to tell you that that is the truest thing that I have found. That one of the best places I could be is in the house of the Lord and with a body of believers. You know, there's this, there's this old saying, and I've heard it said before, that there's some people in your life Some people are in your life for a reason, some for a season, and some for life. And that's just true. Some people are only going to be here a little bit. And some people will never leave you. They'll be with you forever. Some of y'all's kids are 50 and living in your basement. Can I get a hello? Come on, somebody. Man, it's okay for people to walk out when they're leaving you because you're pursuing good things. And I want to stand here today and tell you, one of the, I'm just telling you, man. I, I've battled this in my own heart. This is just real, honest talk right here. When I was 21, I was working for myself. I was making good money, and uh, I decided one night that I was going to leave my life behind and, and just pursue ministry. I knew the ministry was my calling, but man, I battled with a lot of things. Because here's what the devil does when you decide to make a decision to follow the Lord. He begins to plant things in your mind that just aren't true. Things like, when you move to college, you'll never find any friends. When, if you're going to do ministry, guess what? You're going to be broke forever. Just enjoy that. You're going to move every few years? You're going to do that? You're going to make your kids come to church all the time? Man, like, he puts all these things in your mind. Or you'll never find a spouse that wants to do what you're doing. Man, I, I, I literally swallowed that one for like four or five years of, man, I can't go be a preacher. I'll never find a wife. I found a great wife. All my people who love your, all my men who love your wives, can I get amen? There better be some amening up in here. I'm for real right now. Like, if your wife is sitting next to you and you didn't an amen, like, you're either sleeping or we have a counseling center just down the hall you can go to. Man, there's an interesting end to this chapter, and I kind of want to kind of get into these last couple points. There's an interesting end to this chapter. We read 3 through 18, but, but there's actually 19 through 22 that's still remaining, and so if you got your Bibles, I want you to jump back in there. 19 through 22, Ruth chapter 1. It's going to be on the screen if you don't have that today. I love to hear the, the paper just turn in. Come on, somebody. Nothing like a real Bible. I'm not saying, talking bad about your iPhone. If it's an Android, it doesn't know the Lord, but <laughs> check this out. This is, this is really, really almost like the, one of the most important aspects of the whole story. It's, it's revealing about Naomi's burdened heart. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem where they arrived in Bethlehem. The whole town was stirred because of them. So they've gone back to Naomi's homeland and the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought up misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned to Moab, accompanied by Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law. And arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning, Naomi tells her own people, "Yes, I'm Naomi, but please don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, because I, at one point in time Naomi was what I answered by. But Mara is a real. It's just really how I'm feeling right now. You need you need to know that Naomi means pleasant. To be pleasant." And she says, she literally says, I went away as Naomi. I went away pleasant. I went away uh, chasing after God and, and, and following after him and, and following with my family and what we felt like was the right decision. But, man, it's all falling apart now. It's all fell apart now. It's, it's Nothing's right. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. And what I learned is sometimes we'll allow our situations to become the label for what we are feeling in our life. We'll change our label. We'll change our our name. And if you're not careful, life can wound you in such a way that you will deny what you were created to be and you'll become what you're experiencing. You know, don't don't let your trauma own you. In fact, I want you to write this down. Don't let your situation label you bitter. Don't let your situation label you bitter. What if every time you face something difficult, you changed your name? Oh, well, I'm broke right now. I'm sick. Nice to meet you. Good to meet you. Yeah, yeah. I'm depression. I'm anxiety. Don't let your situation turn you bitter. Was the situation tragic? Absolutely. I mean, you can't expect to, to experience all of that loss. You can't expect to experience all of that pain and just come out like that on the other side. And if And if you're getting that vibe from this message today, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, if you want to get out of where you are, you're going to have to turn and give it to Jesus. You're going to have to turn, you're going to have to focus on Jesus. For those of you that identify with with this statement right here, let me read her statement, okay? She says, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. She says, the Lord, not me. Why call me Naomi? The Lord, he's afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. And if that's the way that you think today... Let me change your thinking real quick. God has not brought you misfortune. God has not brought you pain. God has not brought you disaster. God has not brought you this storm. It's not God paying you back what it is. It's not karma. It's, it's the devil. It's the devil who sees the potential in your life. And what he wants to do is do everything he can to get you to abandon who you are and the calling that God has for your life. It's the enemy who sees your potential before you do. And that's what you need to realize. I, think, I realized this a while back, like I'm fighting what I'm fighting because the devil knows who I am and my potential. And sometimes the devil believes in me more than I believe in myself. And he, he afflicts me and he attacks me. And listen, I, I, I got to this point in my life and in my faith where I would wake up and I would say, I hope I make the devil scared today. Anybody get bold like that sometimes? Like, I hope I make you scared. I know who I am. I know what God's called me to be. There was a time where I was asleep to my identity. There was a time where I was in an identity crisis in my own heart and in my own mind, but God woke me up. Can I get an amen from somebody who woke up? And in a moment, I realized all he had for me. I woke up and the devil got nervous. And let me tell you what, if you're a believer in this house today, you make the enemy nervous. He has less power over you than you think and what I love is we talked about declaring the name of Jesus in the last couple of weeks. And sometimes you just have to remind the enemy that he's under your feet. In Jesus' name, get out my house. In Jesus' name, leave my children. In Jesus' name, leave my body. In Jesus' name, leave my mind. Your experiences, if you let them, they'll own you. Your attitude will own you. It will become a part of your identity. You know, I used to work in retail, worked a lot of different places, and uh, there's a season in my life where I worked at the good old Tractor Supply, okay? And uh, worked in Tennessee at, at Tractor Supply, and I'll never forget being a cashier. You, they had to train you on this. This happened a lot. People would take a bag of dog food, okay? Let's just take a bag of dog food. It's like 50 bucks, like expensive dog food. And they would find the label for the same brand dog food, but in a small bag. And they would peel that label off and they would put that label on the front of that thing, and guess what they would do? They'd walk up to the counter, they would scan, and so when you're scanning, and there's certain hot items, right, like they teach you how to do, like you scan, and you look at the description that the computer says that it's supposed to be. And if you look at that description, it says a one-pound bag of dog food, and 350-pound Billy Bob is carrying that 50-pound bag of dog food. That ain't no one-pound bag of dog food for $9.99. That's a $50 bag of dog food. And people would move labels to steal. They'd move labels, they'd move things around. They'd cut a bag open and be like, the bag's busted, I need to deal on that. And I I thought about this one day. Man, it doesn't matter what the label they stuck on that bag. What I see and know that bag to be is different than the label that they're trying to place on it. So stop speaking over your life a label that God never placed on it. Stop saying... I'm going to be broke forever. Stop saying, I'm going to be sick forever. Stop saying, my kids hate me forever. Stop stop saying that stuff. Stop placing a discount on the destiny that God called you to be. You know what I found out about Jesus is he's in the habit of ripping labels off. Labels you placed on your own self. He says, nope, that's not what I made you to be. Nope, that's not what I called you to be. Oh, you want to do this? No, sir, you're not that. Oh, you think you're the the tail? Nope, my word says you're the head. You're above and not beneath. You're blessed and not cursed. Is there anybody in here who knows what it's like to have God reset you and relabel you and put you back in order today? Man, I, I, I worked in student ministry forever, and kids, man, kids will accept the label of whatever anyone tells them that they are. And unfortunately, we have parents who label their own children out of frustration. Listen, kids in the room, teenagers in the room, some of the adults in the room that got a little trauma, listen, your parents are human, and they make mistakes. And sometimes we say things that we don't mean. It doesn't make it right, okay? Doesn't make, I'm not excusing it. But there's been many times where I counseled a child who had a bad relationship with their parent, and they began to share with me things their parents would say over them. And let me tell you what. If you tell your kids that they're stupid, they're going to believe that they're stupid. If you tell your kids that they're lazy, they're going to believe that they're lazy. worthless whatever the label is whatever you're speaking over your child you better be careful because the word says that what you speak there's a lot of life in the power of the tongue and there's a lot of death and many times we had a parent speak that over us and so we think that it's normal and we'll call our kids stupid but let me tell you one thing that was never allowed in the work household I could almost call my siblings anything I wanted except idiot and dumb because my dad wanted us to know that that's, his children aren't dumb. And why does Jesus reset us? Why does he rip the label off of us? Because he's wanting to remind you, no, 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 no. That's not what I said you were. You have worth and you have value. Are you thankful that the Lord gave you value today? Come on. I'm gonna close with this thought. Man, don't overlook this last verse. This last verse is, Man, it's something else. I, man, I didn't even see this the first time I, re- I read this chapter. I got a lot of notes in my Bible. Where's my people that love to write in the Bible? Come on, somebody. And uh, I like to keep my Bibles for a couple years, and then I'm saving them for my kids so they can see all the things God just, like, speaking to me. Never saw this until today or until yesterday. Let's read it. Verse 22. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem, As the barley harvest was beginning. As the barley harvest was beginning. You know, everything in the word is important. Everything included in the word, it matters to the context of what's going on. You know, they've been through hell. They've experienced a level of grief as a family that many don't know yet. And in the middle of their grief and in the middle of their situation, They decide that they're just going to return home. Like, it's probably best just to go back to Bethlehem. Not sure what it looks like. Not sure what's going on. I heard the Lord's back, and we're just going to go back. They experienced undeniable loss. But they arrived at the beginning of a harvest season. They arrived right in the middle of a harvest season. Like, right there at the beginning, people are working. Like, they walk back into a middle of harvest, and that, that fires me up because I know your life's been a battle. I know it's full of trauma. I know you've made the wrong decisions. And you feel like you're in a moment where there's nothing else you can do but just maybe turn around and go home. And what you don't realize is your decision to come home to the house of the Lord, your decision to come home to Jesus, to give it to Jesus, has opened the door to a harvest season in your life. It's an overwhelming sense of defeat. And for a long time, the enemy has reminded of you of what you've lost and what you don't have and what you can't afford and what you can't find. But I'm here this morning to declare over you that a harvest season is coming, like there's fresh breath and life, like your decision to come back to the Lord will be the best thing you've ever done. I declare that there will be provision in your life and healing in your life and your children will come back and your children will praise Jesus and you'll get to stand back and say, the Lord's favor is on me. God's favor is on my life. I know it's been hard and I'm not denying it. Man, the last, the last two years have rent, just rented the hearts of a nation and people in the world. And like Pastor said, I feel that when I get up here, when I get up here, I feel the heaviness of what's in your heart. And I'm telling you, if you want relief, you got to give it to Jesus. You got to turn it to Him. Bethlehem, in Hebrew, means house of bread, and Bethlehem is so significant, right? Like Jesus is born there, and it, it plays this focal piece in all of Scripture. And they come home, and, and I feel like the Lord just wanted me to remind you that you've you come into. The house today and the table's been set with bread and the table's been set with the future. The table's been set with the identity that God has for you and the things that he wants for you. The only decision left is will you come in and will you sit down? Will you come and dine in all that God has for you? Will you accept the fact that it's okay to not be okay? Will you accept the fact that that you really can give all your burdens to Jesus. There was a point in my life where I didn't know if I believed that or not. But man, I'll never forget and I'll never regret giving it all back to the Lord. Never. Never, I, I, one night, the night that God called me, I'll never forget playing cards. I I shared this on Wednesday night. I was playing poker. The Lord overwhelmed me with emotion. I folded, people thought, they didn't know what was going on. Like, is it that bad of a hand? You gotta gotta cry in the middle of it and put your cards down, my God. Man, I, I folded that card and I folded that hand and I folded the book on all the devil was trying to write about me. And I went home. And I looked at my father and I said, hey, if I, if I never leave this place, I'll never amount to anything. And he said, yep. <laughs> when you got a dad and a mom and a grandma who pray in the spirit over you, let me tell you what, they already know what's dealing in your heart. And I came home, best decision I've ever made. And I feel like this, this is the last thing I want to share. And that's this. When you don't know where to run, run home to Jesus. Run home to Jesus. Run home, run home, run home. It's okay that you left. Don't leave again. Come home and find hope in Him and find love in Him. Come back to Bethlehem. Come back to the table that He set. God has never walked away. Never. And if anything, I am proof that you can jack your whole life up and in a moment turn around and find Jesus and find hope and find life more abundantly. And so today... I'm going to challenge you. For those of you that are believers, like are you living a life that people know that you know the Lord? Like are you living a life that's a witness? And are you giving your issues and your storms to the Lord? And then to those in the room who don't know Jesus, like there is no better time than now to come home and to come home and to give your heart to the Lord. Ted's bowed and Eyes closed and no one looking around. Maybe you're watching online right now and you're in your living room. Or maybe you're in here. And you could say, Pastor Ben, I, if I died today, I don't know if I would go to heaven because I don't really know if I have a relationship with the Lord. Like I know, I know who he is, but I don't know if I have an actual relationship with God. But today I want to give my heart to Jesus. If that's you and you want to give your heart to Jesus today, maybe it's for the first time. Maybe you need to recommit your life, whatever it is. So I just want you to lift your hand. I want to pray over you. Maybe you're in here and you could say, Pastor Ben, man, my life is, I'm stressed right now. Like like what Naomi and Ruth are experiencing, like not knowing what to do, like feeling the burden, feeling all this weight. That's me, like I need relief today. Like I need God to do something in my heart. If that's you today and you just need some relief, I want you to lift your hand. I want to pray over you all over the room. Come on, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Right now, I'm going to pray. And then they're going to sing. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, every person that's under the sound of my voice in-house and online, right where they are, Lord, I pray that relief would come to them. Lord, that even in the midst of their situation, they know they can always turn their burdens to you, Jesus. They can give their heart to you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that right now you begin to just do in their heart what needs to happen. God, put peace where there needs to be peace. God, joy where anxiety and depression have robbed joy. Lord, I declare a harvest season over some people in this room today. They've been battling it out, but Lord, they've come home. And when they came home, they came home to a full table. Lord, bless them today. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.